From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. There are few events in college football met with more intrigue than a coaching search. While following the carousel has always been a whirlwind, the age of social media and easily accessible flight trackers have only upped the ante for fans looking for the inside scoop. But amidst all the chaos, only one person truly knows the inner workings of the process, and that's the individual running it. In this case, Athletic Director Scott Strickland. On this special episode, we welcome Scott to find out everything that happened from the moment he decided a change was necessary up until the dawning of the Billy Napier era, filling in all the details from behind the curtain that outsiders can always guess but never know until now. To get us underway, it's time for the Gator Roundtable presented by Pet Paradise. Are you the kind of fan that loves your team as much as your pet? Bring your pets to play where pet lovers and sports fans collide. Pet Paradise, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. You know, there's there's thousands of fans on Twitter, and, and you, you see them there. <laughs> and, and fans are always ready to make coaching changes at, at various times throughout the season, right? Like, oh, fire this guy, fire that guy. Um, in your position, you have a, a lot of responsibility to make the right decisions when it comes to making changes for the program, et cetera. How do you weigh when the time is right to do that, especially as significant as it is, and how many people a decision like that affects? I don't know if there's ever a, you know, one particular moment. Uh, you know, obviously there's a moment where you decide, okay, I have to go have this conversation and tell this person that we're going to separate. But, um, you know, it's not like you, it, it happens in an instant. I think, I think those kind of decisions occur over time as you, you know, you notice things that aren't going a direction you'd like, or aren't being handled in the way you like, or aren't being, you know, there's not attention being paid to or whatever. Um, so I, I don't know if there's any one particular moment. It's more of an accumulation of moments and, and, and I, and thoughts and uh, observations. Um, and, you know, part of, uh, weighing the decision when you get to thinking about those things, when you think you may have to do something is you are impacting a lot of people. You're impacting, uh, your current student athletes, you're impacting, uh, recruits who maybe, you know, have developed a relationship with, with, uh, coaches. Uh, and then there's a tremendous number of people on staff that you're going to be impacting. And then you're going to go replace that coach and you're going to be impacting that person. And then another slew of individuals that, they're going to be wanting to bring to be a part of their staff. So you just, you just have to consider that and and be mindful that it's uh this is not a, these aren't decisions that are made in a vacuum that it just, you know, impact a handful of people. It really uh, cast a wide net on the number of people that is being touched by in some way. You know, when, when you began this search and, and you were asked at the press conference about the other coaching openings and you said, you know, what, Florida's doing, doesn't matter what other schools are doing, the Gators are going to do what the Gators are going to do, and other schools are going to do what they're going to do. Um, but but tangibly, how is the process affected by having a lot of other people in your position, high-profile schools, high-profile athletic directors, making the same phone calls 
to, I imagine, a lot of the same people that you're talking to as well? You know, it, it can it can create traffic, if you will, and um, becomes a little more complicated to navigate when there's more jobs opening, uh, being opened at this at you know at the same time you're out looking. Um, it, you know, just the environment becomes more competitive, and and uh, there's there seems to be more information flying around that you're trying to discern the veracity of. <sighs> that, that's probably the biggest uh, thing I would identify as as being unique when you're in a time like that, as opposed to being in a situation where, you know, no one's hiring at that moment, you happen to be out there and, you know, the waters are a little calmer in those situations. Mm -hmm. Is there, so in terms of, you talked about finding information, hearing what's going on elsewhere. Uh, Obviously there's a lot of stuff being reported and there's stuff that leaks and how, how do you filter what matters to you and what doesn't? If you hear, oh, well, USC is is going after Billy Napier. How do you react to reports of what other schools are doing if it seems like they're thinking the same way that, that you are? You know, we have sources and, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, just people who are who are uh, other coaches or maybe agents or, or uh, people in the search industry, maybe, you know, maybe media members that, you know, you try to be in touch with to understand you know, what's real and what's imagined and what conversations are going on. You just try to be as informed as you can be during that process. Um, when, when you've been through searches before, I imagine like anything else, you learn from it, you take good, you take bad from previous searches. What did you take away from some of your previous coaching searches that helped you with this one? Was there any, was this in any way shaped by others that you've been through? Well, you know, I think you learn every time you go through an experience. So I'm sure that, um, there were some things that, that, that came out of that. I would say the, the idea that, you know, we had a, a board, if you will, a list of names that, that we were interested in and, and, you know, really pretty lengthy. And before we ever talked to anybody, we started kind of paring that down ourselves based on the information we had gathered about individuals. And we got it down to where there we, you know, there's four or five we thought we may want to get in front of. And uh, either because of timing or because of, what we thought of, of coach Napier, what, you know, how he kept rising to the, to the forefront of our discussions. Um, you know, instead of taking the path where we sit around and we, we are not sit around, but we go out and we talk to all four or five people that we think we might have an interest in getting in front of. Um, it just felt like the right thing to do to, 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 you know, zero in on, on someone you thought I thought was probably going to be our top candidate and go see if that's, you know, if that's a fit. And so that's something that probably uh, experience has taught me that, you know, sometimes when you get out and you want to you want to do this really comprehensive search where you talk to a bunch of different people face to face or via Zoom, you know, things could be happening while you're taking the time to do that, that that may make you miss the person you're really interested in. And I, I just felt like if if uh, in Billy's situation, we 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 he checked a lot of boxes and um, felt like he was a fit, felt like he, you know, if he was a guy that, that we need to go talk to and I didn't want to waste time by, you know, going through this long process of hearing, hearing all these people. And that's, you know, football coaching searches uh, even more, you know, maybe men's basketball are similar, but they're so different than a normal hiring process for any other job we have in our department, including other head coaches and other sports mm-hmm. where there's not this rush. There's not this, uh, intense recruiting calendar. There's not this, 
need to, to get out there and, and, and get your guy and get it over with really quickly, um, you have a time to kind of be a little more deliberate in these other searches. And, and there's a lot of value in that. Um, so that's why I really feel fortunate about this situation that we had, there was an individual like Billy, you know, was on the radar that, you know, we felt like was the right guy and, and allowed us to kind of move more quickly. You talked about, you know, paring down that list and, and having that in your mind when you when you begin this. Uh, I know you're not going to tell us who the other names on the list were, but, you know, it, it's interesting when when a high profile coach is replaced instantly, there's all these think pieces that say, oh, here's the you know, here are eight people that the Gators should pursue. And it's like, you know, basically every major head coach coaching today. Um, I imagine that's not really what's on your list. How do you make your list? What? What goes into that? And is that something that you have in the back of your mind at any given time? You know, I, I keep notes on going about coaches out there that, that, you know, and that, you know, may be of interest or maybe someone that you, you want to study. And, you know, I, I've, I had, you know, so during the course of the year, I'll be in conversations with people who understand the, the industry that I may say, Hey, what do you think about so-and-so and just, you know, follow away bits of information. And, and so you do that, over a long enough period of time, you start to collect kind of a, a, a dossier, if you will, about uh, different people. And there's, you know, um, some names that that come across your radar that it's human nature for you to go, wow, that would really be a, a splashy hire. That would be, you know, a lot of people would would really pay attention to that. But I don't know if it's I've done this long enough and and uh, I'm not as concerned about winning the press conference now, but I, you know, I really try to diminish the importance of that part of it, you know, and I really want to focus on who's the right person who can come in here and have this, the skill set that is important for our organization, for the UAA, um, you know, can build relationships, can, can, you know, has a high level of emotional intelligence, uh, understand how important it is to recruit, understands the value of the University of Florida and how we can uh, uh, use that platform to, to provide a, a championship experience with integrity. Um, that becomes way more important than a, than a splashy name that's going to get people excited the day you have a press conference. Because the day after the press conference, there's a lot of work to be done. And you want to have somebody that you believe in, that they're going to do it the right way and do it uh, a way that's going to be highly successful. Um, and not that some of those splashy names may not be successful, but you know, there's a lot of information out about some of those names. And you start doing research, and I just felt like Billy Napier was a better fit. And... Um, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent. And so that, that became, we prioritized that part way more than we did the, uh, you know, what the optics may be on, on press conference day. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you talked about during that press conference, knowing Billy Napier a little bit in terms of his background and, and what he had accomplished based on your time uh, looking at the, at the Sunbelt with the, the CFP committee, what were you able to learn about him in that time that, that left such an impression on you? That was probably more just, hey, here's a guy who's obviously taken a program that to levels of success that they haven't had in the past. And so that was that was just more um, I was more acutely aware of of, you know, uh, who he was because of that success, because, of you know, they're going to be a physical team I, you know because I watched a lot of their games because they were in our rankings and you end up watching a lot of teams that you would you end up watching all the teams that are in the rankings, you know? And so they're a physical team on both sides of the ball and, and they're pretty disciplined. And um, I, I like the way he carried himself on the sideline and, and just, you know, his demeanor. And um, the other thing that really, that 
you know, began to stand out after, you know, there's a lot of coaches you, you notice for the reasons I just said, right. That, that, Hey, they've had some success somewhere that others haven't. What are they doing? What do they bring to the table there? I'm going to pay attention to them. And if you don't have an opening, you, you invariably see their name mentioned for jobs that do have openings in certain hiring cycles. And more often than not, they end up taking advantage of one of those opportunities. What really became interesting about Billy is uh, his name started coming up after his first, I guess, after his second year there, they, they won 10 or 11 games and he sat tight. He had some opportunities, I think, in the SEC to have conversations and he decided that, that they weren't the right fit. And then he did that a second year uh, with, with, you know, some schools that, that had maybe even more resources. And so that just, that that becomes really intriguing, right? You know, what's, what's going on yeah. here? What's, you know, um, this isn't a situation where there's a guy who's really successful and nobody appears interested in him. This is a guy that's really successful and everyone or several schools appear interested. And he's being really careful about uh, what his next step is. And so I just, you know, that to me, that there's something there, you know, that's somebody who's, who uh, uh, obviously has some self-confidence and and not cockiness, but confidence that, that they're going to, they're going to be able to be successful long-term by doing uh, by staying where they are and, and waiting for the right opportunity. Um, in some ways they're betting, you know, he bet on himself, right. That an opportunity mm-hmm. like Florida would come along and, and he could, he could take advantage of it when it did. So that those are probably the two things that jumped out the most to me just the last few years before I really started digging into more and more about him. And, and, uh, uh, and, and when you, you learn more about him, you know, his story is really compelling, you know, the son of a high school coach who, uh, played quarterback for his dad and, and, and then played, was highly successful as a player at Furman and got into coaching and had immediate success, then got let go at Clemson, then kind of, you know, uh, rehabilitated, rehabilitated him, his career at a young age and, and did it at places that where he could really learn. And, and um, just because you're at successful places doesn't mean you're going to be successful, but obviously he's, he's, you know, you've, you spend any amount of time with him, you understand his attention to detail how organized, how disciplined he is that, you know, he used that time wisely when he was at Clemson and at Alabama and other places to, to learn and, and, and to get better and, and to, to tweak and improve. And so, you know, that, that's, that's the kind of thing to me that just really makes me excited is, is, uh, you know, successful people are lifelong learners and they're always, they're always trying to find ways to improve. And I think the fact that that Billy is the, the son of educators, um, you know, probably put that in uh, his DNA at an early age. I was reading uh, Scott Carter's story. Uh, it, it covered a lot of the same ground we are in terms of how this all played out. And and you had said it in that piece um, that while normally you might hop on a Zoom, you said, no, 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 I just got to go there and, and meet with him face to face right from the start. And that it wasn't even necessarily an, an interview so much as it was you getting in with him one-on-one and having that conversation. Why was that important to you? Why was this different necessarily uh, than, than that way you, you could have gone through this? You know, I was, I, I felt like I had enough background information on Billy that um, I knew he could coach. I knew he had a plan. I knew he was incredibly organized and structured and also knew that he, he had the ability to impact people because I'd, I'd heard from enough people who, who had come across him that, have been really positively impacted by that interaction. And so, um, you know, those are the boxes that, that get checked that you go, okay, this, you know, this is someone who can, who can, uh, you know, recruit and hire, recruit players, hire staff, put, put the people in place 
he can then come up with a plan and a program and accountability uh, to run a program, to run a team. And then, you know, obviously he has uh, the schematic uh, uh, knowledge base to be able to put them in a position to be successful. Uh, so those are all, you know, he checked all those boxes. And so I just, I thought, you know what, I don't, he's still in his season. He's still going in the last game of his regular season. And I knew he had a conference championship game after that. I didn't want to spook him, uh, but also I just, so I didn't want to spook him by saying, let me come interview you. I just said, I just want to meet you. Let me get face to face. You know, if we get face to face and for some reason it doesn't click, I can move on, do something else. If we get face to face for some reason, he finds me offensive or whatever he can, he can let us know and we don't have to waste time. I just felt like it was important to, to get in front of, him and Allie, his wife, uh, as soon as I could to see if there was a connection there. You know, the, the uh, Doug Dickey, he, uh, there's a line that's attributed to him that says, you know, you need to, you know, when you hire someone as a coach, you know, you need to hire someone that you look forward to w- seeing them walk through the door every day. You know, you've got to be some, you know, for this, for it to be really a successful relationship, you have to want to be around that person and want to look forward to working with them. And so, um, I just felt like it was really important to, to, to do that. Right. There's so much, uh, we're all zoomed out in this society these days and, um, there's something to be in face to face and watching body language and, and little, uh, you know, things that, that, uh, signs that people give off that tell you a little bit about themselves and, you know, how they defer to others in their presence and, you know, where they sit, how they sit. There's just, there's just, I was just, I wanted to get in front of him and, and, at the same time, I want him to see me and get a chance to, to observe the same on, on his end. So I just felt like that was important. And, and I, again, I, I, I called it a meeting because I didn't want to uh, – I was trying to market it where he didn't think I was coming in to do a four-hour interview in the middle of right. his of a game week. Right. Um, so if, if it wasn't a traditional interview, I'm thinking, okay, well, you'd say, okay, what's your plan? How are you going to do X, Y, and Z? If it's not that and you spent uh, a couple hours with him – what, what went into that conversation? What, what was the bulk of that uh, that that told you that that he was the right guy and he was who you thought he was going in? Candidly, I, I asked him a lot about his family and uh, I'd read a lot about his dad because his dad passed away from ALS a few years ago and obviously he had it was a big influence on Billy's life. I had not read much about his mother. I asked him about his mother, um, asked him about his brothers. You know, I, I, th- I think learning about people uh, and they're where they're, they, they come from tells you a lot about them. And I wanted to hear how he, how he described them. And, um, so we talked about family and, and talked about, uh, you know, he and Allie and how they met and, and, uh, their background together. And, um, and then slowly, but surely it got around to talking about what he'd done at, at Louisiana and, and how he, you know, how his approach to build that program and why they've been successful and, and, you know, eventually got around to talk about Florida. So it just, it was very natural, right? It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily a script, but it just kind of flowed that way to where uh, it was a very easy conversation. And that's one of the things you, you know, you learn pretty quickly about Billy is that when you are with him, that it, um, he's an easy person to be around, which I think is a, is a part of the reason for his success as a leader. Hmm. We talked a little bit before about some of what goes into to making a successful program and, and finding someone who can translate it. I mean, it's no secret there's a lot of coaches who've come from smaller schools that haven't been able to replicate that at the highest level. What was it about him, about his plan, uh, that gave you the confidence that he could make that jump and, and be as successful as everybody hopes he will be? 
Well, before I answer that, I'll point out there are a lot of coaches that come from small programs that don't have success. And there's a lot that come from smaller programs that do. And there's a lot of programs that come coaches that come from big programs that have success. And there's a lot of coaches that come from big programs that don't. So there's the, the data on those labels are really poor uh, descriptors of or predictors of future success. So mm-hmm. um, what is a really good predictor of future success is, does this person have a plan? Do they have the ability to, you know, to go and, and uh, get people excited about that plan and get them to buy into it, get them to become want to be a part of it. Um, can they execute the plan? Can they hold people accountable to the plan? Are they willing to adapt the plan as circumstances uh, warrant? Um, you know, why do they believe in that plan? What's, you know, can they tell you the, not just what it is, but why it is the way it is and how it all works. And, and I thought Billy checked all those boxes, you know, the, you know, the ability to, um, to build relationships and, and, and then just, you know, he's a competitive guy. He's hardworking. He's thoughtful. He's really deliberate in a good way. Um, he's genuine, authentic. I think that's really important. You're talking about, you know, why it's important to be face to face. I think you can tell a lot about somebody's um, authenticity when you're, when you're in their presence a little bit better than you can um, just through uh, uh, some kind of digital device. I just thought all those things, I, I really felt like we, we need uh, in this day and age, not just University of Florida, I think coaches in general, the relational nature of what they do as leaders is more important than ever. Uh, young people are, are craving leadership. They're craving genuine, authentic relationships. We've raised a, a generation of young people that look at their phones all the time and, and their uh, communication to them is something you do through a device. It's not their interpersonal skills are not as advanced as the generations that came before them. And so I think successful leaders in general, but and coaches in this case, really have to have the ability to connect with people uh, authentically on a personal level. And you can tell when you're around Billy, he has that ability, but I had done a lot of research that, that made me think that was going to be the case even before I met him, just from different people I talked to about it. Hmm. You know, it, it seems like you had a pretty clear idea from the outset that this was the guy that you wanted and you went after him. And then after after he was announced, then there was just then the, the dominoes started falling. It was chaos around the rest of college football. But you were able to sort of get in ahead of that. How important was it to have your process play out the way that it did and not be subject to uh, just the, the insanity that followed the rest of college football after the fact? Well, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, there's a lot of traffic uh, when you're when you're out in the market at the same time other schools are, um, you know, we live in Florida. So a lot, you know, we're, we're always near water. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of choppy water in that scenario. Right. The, the, the seas are rough. And, um, you know, the, when you're in rough seas, you want to get to shore as quickly as possible. And so I, I think it was really important that we, you know, we were fortunate enough to identify Billy and and and, you know, do something that he was, you know, put something together that he was excited about, want to be a part of here at the University of Florida and, 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 you know, get into port, get into safe Harbor uh, before it got any stormier out there, because uh, you're right. It was, you know, it's been a uh, active season to say the <laughs> least. So, um, Hey, there's, there's some, you know, part of that probably is planning and, and uh, research and preparation. Part of that's probably good fortune and just right time, right place kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious just if you could talk about the big picture of the college football coaching landscape. And it it's hard to, to find a, a point where this changed, but the one I thought of 
was was Jimbo Fisher a few years ago. He goes to Texas A&M and gets a guaranteed $75 million contract, which was kind of unheard of at the time. Uh, and now, today, just four years later, it takes at least two hands to count the number of coaches who have guaranteed contracts that are nearing or over $100 million. What has happened in the last few years that the landscape of college football coaching has changed so drastically to where that seems to be, that's almost the the standard now, even for coaches who've had less than two years of experience in some cases? Well, you you probably need to to find one of our award-winning economists here on our campus to fully explain <laughs> that because it is it is a market uh, it's a study in in you know markets really um there's no you know people want to compare college athletics to pro sports just because that's the the closest comparison you can make in our country but one one incredibly key difference is in pro sports there is a a systemic way that teams add new talent new per player per players that's through drafts mm-hmm. and um Obviously, in, in college athletics, that is not the case. It is it is a recruiting function of recruiting. And um, even though we have a name, image, and likeness and things seem to be changing, the, the most important factor that a school can control on how well they're going to recruit is the head coach and how well that – and then obviously you want the other things that come with that. How can he, you know, take that team he's recruited, put the right staff around them, coach them, provide a, a – positive environment, allow them to be successful in the classroom and athletically and, and all those important things. Um, but that coach becomes the, the real driver. And so there's, there's just an incredible market for people who can do those things. And um, until we get to the point where we do have some kind of draft or some other kind of system other than just recruiting, or we're paying recruits above board in a legal manner, um, the head coach is going to continue to have a, a, a super important role in in the marketplace and um so it's to me it's just the 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 structure and the the, that we have you know one way that schools can try to best influence the future of their program is who they put in charge of that program and obviously we've seen through the last couple years through the pandemic college football is really important right even even a, a worldwide pandemic couldn't slow it down couldn't couldn't kill it and it's it's people came back this year in the stands with a vengeance here, you know, you look at all the great crowds we had at home for a team that went six and six. And we had one of our best attended seasons in a long, long time huh. um, here, here at, at the university of Florida. And, I, and, you know, just people are, you know, our bowl game is sold out for, for, you know, two, one team went six and six, one team went seven to five and, and it's a sellout. I know there's unique circumstances there with, you know, in-state school and an in-state game, but there's a, there's a huge marketplace for college football and college athletics in general. And there's a lot of young people want to play it. Fans want to see it. They want to support it. That drives schools to want to position themselves as well as possible to be successful in it. And the head coach is the most important factor in that right now. Hmm. We're having this conversation on early signing day. Um, And I want to ask you about that because there's been a lot of discussion the last few weeks about this early signing day. And, you know, there's probably, it's fair to say, a growing opinion that it's actually having a negative impact on the sport in a lot of ways because what we just talked about with the coaching carousel, guys leaving their schools, their teams before their season's even really over uh, to go get a new job because of the early signing period. What are, what are your thoughts on this early signing day, the way that it's it's gone so far a few years in, and does it need to be modified because of some of those factors I just mentioned? 
Um, I don't know. I, I, I go back and forth, to be honest with you. I, I wonder if um, putting it back in February is the right thing. Maybe we should just have one in February like we always have. Uh, we, we have created more chaos by having it where we have it, having an early signing day where it is. Um, if you had it in early August before training camp starts for kids who committed before their senior year, would that be better? Or would it just shift recruiting to, you know, where juniors are being hot boxed, you know, in June, July of their, of the summer for their senior year to make a decision. And, and then what happens if you, a kid signs at school and, and there's a coaching change and he wants out and then right. you've got all those issues to, to be concerned about as well. So I, you know, I do think early sign, if you have a stable program, and you don't have coaching turnover, There's you probably like early signing day. If you're one of the schools like Florida is right now where we've had some turnover, um, signing day being in December, having a signing day in December is not is you know a challenge and uh, something we've got to navigate around. So um, I, there'll be discussions. I know that there's a lot of, you know, you do, um, it's probably predictable the impact it's had on the coaching carousel and coaches being fired early in the season. Um, by schools that want to try to get a head start and, and try to position themselves as best as possible for early signing day. Um, so for that reason alone, I could see going back to just the regular February signing day and getting rid of early signing day. But, um, you know, if early signing day stays in place, hopefully going forward, the Gators will be a really in a really stable position under Coach Napier and we'll be in position to take advantage of it. When we last spoke, the, the new name, image, and likeness rules were just about to take effect uh, now, six months into this brave new world, what have you seen as far as the impact that's had? What has surprised you or what has maybe gone more smoothly than uh, than you could have expected? You know, I, I think we're still so early in this um, and, and the fact that the, the rules are still so nebulous that it's really hard to, to gauge what the impact is um, uh, from a global standpoint. There may be some some anecdotal situations where you know the the young man who was a high school kid in texas who you know uh reclassified to go to ohio state so he could take advantage of name image and likeness those are those are you know you don't hear a lot of those situations there may be some but you don't hear i wouldn't say that that is driving name image and likeness um you know these fan initiated uh collectives that are out there are are something that are going to be interesting to follow to see how they evolve and um, how they can impact your current roster. There's, you know, the, the law in the state of Florida is very clear that that name, image, and likeness cannot be used as an inducement to determine where uh, to, to encourage someone to go to a certain school. So in other words, it can't be used for recruiting, mm-hmm. but you know, there's really no explanation of how that's going to be um, managed. You know, what, what the entity is in, in the state of Florida is that's going to govern that to make sure that, there aren't abuses taking place there. Um, our focus has been on tr- focus has been on trying to do everything we can as UAA to support our current student athletes and um, uh, you know make uh, make them aware of all the opportunities uh, available to them. Um, state law is very clear here in Florida that the UAA cannot cause compensation, but it doesn't mean that you know we can't let our athletes know of opportunities and uh, that are out there. And, and also we can let, you know, people who may want to support name, image and likeness opportunities, be aware of what opportunities are out there. Uh, and, and you've seen us do some of those things with, with some of the uh, influencer and, and, and those kind of things that, that, that we have helped facilitate. 
Um, it's something that we're going to continue to learn, and, and I think it may be a, a few years before we really have a, our arms around the impact of name, image, and likeness. But, um, you know, we have obviously several athletes, here, Gators, that are taking advantage of it, that uh, have done well with it. Um, and we have some that, you know, have used it to, to get some discounts on meals and, and some, you know, use some social media posts, and it's not been as impactful for them. Uh, I think you'll continue to see that, but um, the, the recruiting piece is going to be where people are going to be more and more aggressive over time, and, and uh, certainly we want to do things the right way here at Florida. That's always been important to us. Um, we've got to figure out how we can, um, we can navigate that in a way to create a championship experience with integrity while also making sure we're, we're giving our athletes the best case, best chance possible to be successful. Quick question for you about the college football playoff. Now you were, you're off the committee. Now you were previously the one helping to make those decisions. This is the first year we've gotten a group of five team in that mix. I'm curious from where you sit, do you think there's a lot of pressure on Cincinnati? Will their performance be looked at maybe in the future as, oh, well, you don't want to put a group of five team and look what happened to Cincinnati. Do you think this is a big deal for the future of the college football playoff? What happens when Cincinnati actually takes the field? You know, I, I don't know that, uh, I, number one, I'm sure that they are going to feel like they represent uh, all the, you know, they're like the Hickory, right, in, in Hoosiers, you know, they're, 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 they're representing all those small schools that never had the chance kind of thing. But uh, I don't think they'll be, I don't think if, you know, if they go and, and win the game, I don't know if they will be pressure to throw a bunch of group of fives in going forward. If they get beat badly, I don't know if there'll be a lot of pressure to keep group of fives from having those opportunities in the future. I really think the committee does. Uh, I know the committee focuses on trying to evaluate every team in that year um, and as fairly as possible without, uh, looking at past years without, uh, you know, looking at past playoff results. Um, you know, Notre Dame's had a couple opportunities to playoff and haven't fared very well. You know, they got, they got blown out their first time and they got another opportunity because that year and that season, the committee decided they were one of the four teams that deserved the opportunity. Right. Uh, you know, Michigan state had a, a year they got in and they got blown out. Washington had a year they got in and got blown out. Um, <laughs> those leagues have still had other opportunities, right? Big 10 teams weren't cast aside because Michigan state got blown out that year by right. Alabama. So I really think, I mean, I know the committee really focuses on trying to evaluate each season independent of, of another, but certainly there'll be a lot of attention on Cincinnati, um, you know, participating this year and, and they've had a great, great season. It appears they deserve it. How much do you miss being on the committee or are you happy to, to have that, uh, that time and energy back? You know, we have, we have great people on the committee right now and, and I think they're doing an excellent job and uh, I enjoyed my time on the committee, but I'm, I'm happy to see this, this new group come along and, and fulfill that role. <laughs> a couple final things for you. Uh, we always like to talk about facilities. Obviously, you have a big football facility that, that's you know getting closer and closer to opening. Uh, you announced, I think the last time we spoke, just before that, the looking at the swamp and making some big changes there. Uh, what can you tell us big picture about facilities at, at this moment in time? Well, Hebner Training Center is uh, it's exciting to see it take shape. We actually were able to take recruits to it this past weekend and uh, Coach Napier has been through it a couple of times and there's a lot of excitement there because of what that facility is, is, is going to be and what it's, you know, to see it kind of come out of the ground and $85 million structure, the 140,000 square feet, it's going to obviously be a huge impact for football, but as I've said before, because of the dining hall for all student athletes, it's going to be something that touches uh, our entire athletic program and all 21 sports. Um, 
we are we are wrapping up uh, an initial study with uh, some really talented people on Ben Hill Griffin that will give us kind of a roadmap to then go and hire architects with. And, you know, we're going to look at everything uh, from uh, uh, the exterior, what it looks like, how people approach it, how they get in, concourse spaces, uh, concession spaces, restroom areas, uh, seating, premium areas, how we can maximize revenue, how we can make the fan experience better. And, uh, you know, audio video is going to be a big part of that as well. Uh, you know, video boards and sound systems and all that kind of stuff. So um, uh, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, you know, there's I know people keep hearing that we're looking at that. The, the, the swamp is is kind of like Fenway Park, right? You, you, uh, so, you, so people who uh, understand stadiums, so Soldier Field in Chicago had this iconic look to it, and they came in uh, and, and renovated, and it looked like bad plastic surgery, right? It, <laughs> it, it, they totally lost what was unique right. uh, and the character of that stadium when they redid it. Uh, the Red Sox went into Fenway Park, another iconic venue, and they were able to renovate it and update it and make it more fan-friendly and add seats and all this kind of stuff. But they did it in such a way that it feels just like Fenway Park always has. Mm-hmm. That's what we want to do with the Swamp. We don't want it to lose any of the special character, any of that intimacy, the steep rake of the seating, uh, how the fans are on top of the of the field. Uh, you know, We don't want to lose what makes it special to be uh, at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. And so it just takes time. You got to be really deliberate and careful when you're when you're trying to uh, update uh, an existing iconic historic facility. And so um, if people be patient, we'll, we'll hopefully here in the next uh, in 22, we'll be in position to start talking details and specifics and probably in 23, start some of the phasing of, of what we're going to do there. Um, but it needs to be significant and it, it doesn't just need to be a few new restrooms and concessions. Those things need to happen, but it needs to be bigger, wider concourses, easier in and out. Um, and people think that that doesn't sound exciting, but really that has a huge impact on the on the experience. But then also, um, how can we make seating better? Uh, you know, handrails in the aisles, wider aisles, uh, you know, newer premium spaces, renovated spaces. Um, all those things are going to be really important. Final question for you. Uh, you know, I can't let you go without finding out what is on the list for you. You've been a little busy, but we're, we're approaching the holidays. You'll have some free time. What's on the queue? What do you need to see in theaters? Give, give me your, your pop culture prospectus at, at this moment in time. Well, I think uh, the family's planning on going to see the new Spider-Man movie sometime over Christmas. And so that, that'll be, uh, that'll be coming up here. Um, you know, I've, uh, I'm a big Ted Lasso fan, like so many other people, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, gotten through those two seasons. That's obviously a great show. Um, uh, Yellowstone, gotten into that. I don't know if you've watched Yellowstone. I haven't. I- I've heard a lot about it. It's very, very popular, but I don't know anyone who actually has watched it. It's really it's one good. one of those things. Yeah, Yellowstone. I'm, there's a new season of Narcos on Netflix. I'm a big Narcos fan. Just, um, I'm just, two episodes into the first season. I'm, I'm okay, very, I'm very late really, to the party on that. Really well done. Really well acted. Great storytelling. And there's, it's, you know, based on uh, historical stuff. So that's, uh, that's kind of my binge list these days is uh, Yellowstone Narcos. I got through watching uh, my wife and I had watched uh, the morning show on Apple TV. I don't know mm-hmm. that I can recommend it, but I've watched both seasons of that. It's, <laughs> it's okay. But um, second season better than the first. Would you agree with that statement? I, I would agree, but there's okay. still some, you know, uh, jump the shark moments in, in that show. There are um, some holes. There are some yeah. holes. But uh, I'm, I'm actually, you know, hopefully uh, between uh, Christmas and New Year's that week where it's a little slower, I'm hoping I can uh, maybe catch up on some some uh, some binging and, and 
watching some shows or movies or something. Have you done Succession? I have not, but Ooh. I will. Uh, I uh, I have been told that uh, I watched the first. I watched the first episode of Succession. I couldn't okay. get into it, but I've been told that Yellowstone is Succession in, set in Montana. Wow. Okay. So now I need to I need to switch to Yellowstone now that Succession is over. And I have to tell you. You need to give it a chance. It, it takes a few episodes, but you got to, once you're in it, you're in it. It's, it's the best gift I can give you as we approach okay. the holidays, the gift of succession. Fair enough. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, Scott, thank you so much as always for, for spending some time with us. And I hope you and your family have a very happy holidays. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate it, man. You take care. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Stay up to date on everything going on with the orange and blue at FloridaGators.com, and we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Please stay safe and go Gators.